0: but what if they are out there, whispering to us in the night, but we just can't hear them? Our galaxy contains hundreds of billions of stars, many far older than our own, and the galaxy itself is but one of billions. Likely most of those stars have planets and at least a decent percent of them would probably be big enough to hoard an atmosphere and located where their sun could keep liquid water on their surface. We don't know that life would need that, but even if it does, it should seem to imply almost uncountable worlds that might harbor life. This is the basic notion of the Fermi Paradox, that we'd expect that even if the odds of life were much worse than we thought, and even if it was fairly unlikely to develop into complex and intelligent life. There should just be tons of civilizations like ours out there. But if there is, we're not hearing from them. If that life is out there, where is it? Why aren't the radio waves clogged with intergalactic radio? Regular watchers of the show know this problem is probably far worse if we consider a capacity for interstellar travel and colonization. But when the Paradox first came out, before we even landed on the Moon or sent probes to other planets, that seemed to be half of the answer. We could only hear these folks if we were close enough to their homeworld to pick up their radio, because they probably had no other worlds except maybe colonies on other planets around their own native sun, They are Mars or Venus. I thought for today we'd ask about that scenario, of a non-interstellar galaxy, where folks just couldn't colonize the stars, it turned out to not be practical or desirable. We've considered such possibilities before, most notably in stay-at-home civilizations, and while we'll touch today on some reasons for why this might be so, we are mostly interested in what the contact situation with us would be rather than why they are limited to their world. Those reasons do matter though, for instance a civilization that has found that interstellar travel is not practical after millennia of research and efforts, even though they really want to do it, is one that might have a strong desire to speak to others and may have concluded that everyone else found travel impractical too. Such being the case, they probably aren't worried about being invaded. If someone did crack the problem of practical interstellar travel, they'd figure they probably aren't the types to go around colonizing and conquering every last world, as they don't appear to be doing so. If that is so, there's no harm announcing your presence and possibly much to gain, so they have plenty of incentive to say hello to the Universe at large. We mostly hesitate to do that now simply because we're so new to things that we worry there are unknown variables we should worry about. But if you've been contemplating the problem for many centuries, not a few decades, and the situation hasn't changed, your policy probably will. On the flip side, practical interstellar efforts isn't necessarily talking about the engineering and logistics. A civilization might find that it's impossible to maintain any sort of cohesion if they get big enough, in numbers or in distance, and fear that without such cohesion, they’d exist in nonstop chaos and warfare, All things being equal, if you value sentient individuals, more of them is better, but they rarely are equal. We can only support so many folks in a given area with a given level of technology and keep them fed and provided for in other ways, what we call a carrying capacity. But this isn't just necessarily food or energy or material things, they might find that past 10 billion people their civilization doesn't fare well, even if they are amply provided for and abundant of resources they may also feel any interstellar colony amounts to planting a seed that will grow into a rival or enemy, not an expansion of their own civilization or a daughter civilization they can call friend and ally. And yet they too have a reason to reach out and say hello to other worlds, as they would be inclined to assume such alien civilizations have the same limitation or have overcome it in a way they might be able to copy or adapt for their own use, or have other information of value. So again there is a motive to communicate, But they also might be a civilization whose leadership was opposed to expansion simply because they didn't feel they could maintain control themselves and enjoy that supremacy, or at least believed it necessary. Such a civilization might be very hesitant to reach out to others as new ideas and technology might make their own efforts to keep their own civilization together all the harder, or even invite attack or interference from someone who disapproved of their system. Now that implies a rather nasty dictatorship but would not necessarily be the case. Technology is very dangerous, and there are some technological paths that might be so dangerous you don't dare let them be pursued, or at least you believe they are. No matter how good your controls and containment are on your homeworld or home system, it only takes one person with a blueprint for superhuman artificial intelligence and self-replicating machines to plant them around a distant star in a clumsy fashion that can get out of control. If that's done by the time you find out, potentially decades after control was lost, it might be unstoppable and result in some armada of killer robots descending on your homeworld to turn it and everyone on it into more killer robots or paperclips or whatever other thing that unchained AI feels those its own end goals. One can debate the idea if it is ever worth sacrificing any freedom for security and survival, but I suspect few civilizations are around long that aren't willing to sacrifice at least some and if the danger is great enough many would likely be willing to take this containment strategy. Keeping all your eggs in one basket does not sound like a good survival strategy, hence why we want to plant ourselves on many planets around distant stars. However, if each of your eggs has a good chance of hatching a monster that wants to eat you and knows where you live, scattering your seed to a million worlds you can't watch and quickly intervene on is not necessarily a good idea. One single world is vulnerable to being destroyed, but it's still better than a million dead worlds. We don't know if technology will go towards such a scenario so we can't say yet. The thing is, when it comes to Fermi Paradox solutions, any solution that some might do, but not all, is not a good solution since someone will presumably do it. However, if technology inevitably converges to things so dangerous that only rigorous oversight, regulation, or restriction permits survival then that is a good Fermi Paradox solution, everybody either does that or dies. This would be an example of what we call a Late Filter, where early filters are horrors to an alien species reaching something like our level of intelligence and technological development. Late filters are those which might still lie ahead of us. Finding out that interstellar travel was far less practical than we'd like to believe would be one such example, as would being killed off by your own technology except where it replaces you with some new species or civilization with similar galactic ambitions. A thousand worlds in the galaxy, home to a thousand unique civilizations that never progressed beyond where we are now, would work for the Fermi Paradox, because the galaxy is a big, big place. It would mean there was nearly a billion stars for each one that was the cradle world of a civilization, you'd have thousands of light years between each civilization on average. Now it would seem strange that these would all exist endlessly at our current technological level, more or less, for millions of years without either progressing further or dying off. Indeed I'd find that hard to believe, but it gives us a scale of things, we'd have a problem hearing a copy of our own current civilization even a few hundred light years away, let alone a few thousand. That said, folks discussing this matter often err with that line of reasoning. I've heard people say that it's impossible to make out a radio signal sent from over hundred light years from us, and this is simply wrong. We won't dig into the details of radio technology and will instead offer a simple example as a rebuttal. There are stars we can see with our naked eyes hundreds or even thousands of light years away. Indeed V762 Cass in Cassiopeia is 16,000 light years away, the most distant star you can see with the naked eye. And there are others all the way across the galaxy, visible to even fairly cheap and simple telescopes. One could disassemble even a modest asteroid to form thin sheets able to absorb or reflect light and scatter them around a star to turn that into a large signaling device, a semaphore lighthouse of stellar scope and intergalactic range. This is not advanced technology in any regard. There are far better ways to send a signal easier and farther than that, but it illustrates the point. On the transmission side, if you want to be heard, you can be, and without engaging in anything nearly so big as the enclosing of a stall. On the other end of things, receiving a transmission, as we discussed in the episode Mega Telescopes, there is no real limit on how big you can make your radio dishes in space. Now, our signals do start becoming rather unintelligible over distance, not simply from attenuation as they fall off, as the inverse square of distance, but from all the dust and signal noise around in space. Think of it like a fog, it's very hard to see through and simply dumping more light into the fog or getting a pair of binoculars doesn't help all that much. But some frequencies of light will go through that fog better, and some transmission methods will blur less as it were. Flickering a star at a slow rate of once a second as a method is a very high energy and low bandwidth approach, that's one bit per second transmission that would not even be able to send plain text at real time. However, it is pretty much guaranteed to let you be seen by anyone in this region of the Universe looking around long enough who doesn't have something directly between you and that star obscuring the visual line of sight, which most would not. Of course it's far easier to transmit on a single frequency and very loudly. An incandescent light bulb produces only a fraction of its light in the visible range, which is why an LED bulb can say it's as bright as a 100 watt bulb while only using maybe 10 watts it's almost all in the visible range, but if we assumed a light source gave its light evenly over a spectrum that we could divide into 10,000 increments we could build detectors for each increment of, then a light source which emitted only one of those increments of frequency but 10,000 times more powerfully would use the same amount of power as the wide-spectrum source, however we could see it 100 times further away, as it will diminish in strength with the inverse square of distance, the square root of 10,000 is 100. To put that into perspective, the electromagnetic peak of most stars is at a frequency of hundreds of trillions of hertz, oscillations per second. Our early star semaphore example pulsing once a second would be a single hertz. Our normal radio signals range from hundreds of thousands to hundreds of millions of hertz and for the AM radio we assign frequencies in bands of 10,000 hertz. You can't have two channels closer than that, which is why for AM radio every channel ends with a zero and is given in kilohertz, 760 AM, 770 AM, 780 AM, no 765 or 773. If you divided that hundreds of terahertz sunlight example into 10,000 hertz bands, you'd be getting more than 10 billion of them, which means if you're broadcasting evenly over that whole spectrum you need to transmit 10 billion times as powerfully to be heard or seen at the same distance as by one transmitting in just one of those increments. The square root of 10 billion is 100,000. So something broadcasting just one of those bands could be picked up by a detector 100,000 times further away than one equally powerful but broadcasting it over them all. That's the basic notion and reason why a walkie-talkie running on a battery can be heard kilometers away, it's only spending its power in a very discreet piece of the spectrum. Of course you need a good antenna to hear it too, and incidentally if we choose to look at an eyeball as a type of antenna, the human eyeball is extremely sensitive. There's a lot of claims for how far away you can see a candle flame on the internet, but to compare a candle to a sixth magnitude star, the dimmest you can see with the naked eye, it would be about 2 kilometers. I don't mention that simply as an odd note of trivia, but rather to note that if a civilization wanted to get noticed by species long before they even invented radio, they might make an educated guess that eyeballs are very likely to evolve and evolve to see in the visible spectrum. A single pulsing red dot in the sky might not be a bad approach and could still be done cheaper than using an entire star's solar budget. This is particularly true as you're not limited to omnidirectional signaling. Space is mostly empty and anyone with the tech to be contemplating interstellar transmission will know both how to calculate stellar drift for several thousand years in advance and how to focus a beam pretty decently, so they can opt to send beams out instead of a spherical shell of signal. Those do spread out over distance, even laser beams are not cylinders but spread over long distances, which certainly describes the galaxy, but it lets you dump a lot more power in a given direction and you can move the thing around. I don't need to broadcast continuously to say hello, especially if that hello is merely to draw attention so some other civilization notices it and points their equipment that way. A single one second pulse, once every 10,000 seconds, is going to get the job done and let you broadcast on a beam rolling around, for instance. All of which lets us say rather conclusively that if a civilization, even our current one, really wanted to be heard by others, we could be heard by almost anyone in the galaxy. Now there's an assumption you're willing to devote a lot of power for a lot of time to such a project. But a civilization that doesn't have access to a large and renewable power source is not going to be around long enough to hear any return replies anyway. If they've grown into a Kardashev two civilization, one fully enclosing their own star in order to absorb and use all its power, then they can easily designate a handful of bands to interstellar beacons and run them loud enough to be heard galaxy-wide without even noticing the power consumption. On the other hand, we'd be pretty hard pressed to justify building and operating some gigawatt transmitter in perpetuity with our current energy issues, and you do need to be considering transmitting in that range if you're trying to be heard throughout a decent portion of the galaxy even using focusing techniques rather than omnidirectional signals. You don't really need that as a Fermi Paradox solution though, civilizations that can't get to that level of long-term energy abundance aren't going to be around in the long term. And if each civilization only was around for a few centuries, transmitting and listening, then a galaxy could have spawned several million of them over the last few billion years and rarely had more than two active at a time and probably never had two active at the same time close enough to do even a single back and forth transmission. Of course another line of thought is that all these folks are transmitting but just not in a way that we can notice. They might not use radio or electromagnetic signals of course, having figured out some sort of FTL communication. But then that rather wrecks all the reasons not to settle and travel the galaxy. Faster light travel communication, as we've noted before, only exacerbates the Fermi Paradox because it means you have such an easier time colonizing the galaxy and maintaining your civilization's cohesion as you do it. Plus, vastly widens the regions in which an alien civilization might have emerged and be able to contact us, you have to start worrying about contact from civilizations arising in distant galaxies, not just distant stars. Alternatively, they might only use focused and low-powered communication, beaming signals, which is obviously handy but that only applies to trying to overhear their day-to-day signals, not them actually trying to contact us. And we couldn't hear their routine signals nowadays anyway unless they were within relative spinning distance of us in galactic terms, we'd have to build much bigger telescopes to do that. The other concern is that they will tend to compress or encrypt their signals, which we already have started doing, and a compressed signal basically looks like noise. That's sort of the point, since compression is about taking repeats and patterns in data and replacing them with something shorter that says what that pattern is and when it is repeated. Compressed signals are also way more sensitive to noise in general and transmission through the interstellar medium is noisy. Now again if their purpose is saying hello that's a non-issue. You don't compress a hello signal beyond the point that the recipient can recognize it's still a signal and be able to guess the compression method, but it's quite likely an interplanetary civilization would have most of its radio traffic in various highly compressed formats and beamed around. They might have omnidirectional broadcasts of certain things, their solar system equivalent of a GPS for instance or a news broadcast, but this is likely to be compressed too. However, you do not need to be able to read someone's mail to know they got it. You generally don't broadcast in frequencies already full of natural noise, and even if you did, you are adding to that noise even with your signal. If you look at a solar system and see that it's emitting twice as much of a given radio frequency as you'd expect, it doesn't matter if it all looks like noise, it's still an anomaly, and you can turn your scopes that way and investigate. You'll start noticing other anomalies that shouldn't be there that will increasingly make the setup look artificial making you point more and more stuff that way till you can say hey look, a civilization. Now it is far easier to detect them if they're waving a torch around trying to be seen, but of course there's a common notion that they might try to hide. As we discussed in the episodes Hidden Aliens and Dark Forest Theory, this is a fairly futile endeavor because hiding takes effort, and you only do it if you think it will be effective. There's no need to hide from any civilization that can't reach you in some fashion that would hurt, like sending an armada your way. And anyone who can send an armada can send probes sooner, easier, and cheaper, not to mention build huge telescopes capable of seeing your planet well enough to know it hosts life long before that life got sophisticated enough to discover fire, let alone radio. If hiding is either unnecessary because they can't reach you or you reach them, or futile because they can reach you and knew your world was inhabited long before your species inhabited it, you might as well opt for saying hello, since they might have things you'd find interesting or useful. Now to be fair, not everyone would do that, but not only can we not assume every civilization would be terrified or apathetic about communication, but we can't assume any civilization is going to have a unified opinion on this matter throughout their entire civilization, both in space and time. It's not just that one country might be fine with it while another country would not, rather you have to assume they keep this opinion indefinitely. Again, we only care about civilizations that last long enough that they're likely to overlap with other civilizations simultaneously existing anyway. If everybody only exists as a technological civilization for a few centuries, and never colonizes other worlds, then you'd need them popping up like weeds for anyone to ever talk to each other and that's a Fermi Paradox solution all by itself. They whisper into the night, but there's nobody alive right then to hear them. So only if civilizations can arise, last for very long periods of time, which implies a certain amount of energy abundance, at least in terms of being renewable, and cannot or do not wish to engage in interstellar travel, do we care about them whispering. If they're a galaxy spanning civilization they can whisper and we'll definitely hear them, it's hard to miss such a thing, see the Dyson Dilemma episode for why, it's essentially like standing in the middle of a city and missing all the people and buildings. This is what it boils down to though. It's true we could easily miss an equivalent to our own civilization even just a few light centuries away, but not for long. Either they would die off or we'll die off, either one or both of us would have mastered space travel or one or both of us would decide space travel is off the table. If so, then someone would decide transmitting loudly into the void, bellowing into the night not whispering, and building great big telescopes to hear even whispers is the only way to explore space for other civilizations and is safe to do so because they either can't reach us to hurt us, or can but don't wish to. If the latter, there is at least a non-zero chance they might share such travel methods with us if we make ourselves known to them and build a relationship. It's also rather advantageous to be the first civilization to meet a new civilization, whether you want forced dibs on their information for trade or want to make a good first impression is helpful rather than letting other civilizations inform that new civilization about you and possibly unkindly or simply because you remember the loneliness and ignorance of your own early days alone in the night and wish to help. So for the Fermi Paradox solutions that suggest that civilizations are abundant and around but we just can't hear them yet because the signal is too weak for us to hear, ultimately it just doesn't work. We could miss them whispering into the night but we wouldn't miss them bellowing and someone would be, assuming anyone is there, to shout. We were discussing radio and electromagnetic signals a lot today, and those can be a lot less intuitive for most folks than many other physics and math concepts. Indeed as I mentioned earlier, there's often a lot of misassumptions about how far we can broadcast a signal or hear one that I suspect come from folks having so delved into the intricacies and limitations of modern transmission that they overlook options available simply by applying brute force on detection and transmission. If you're curious to learn more about electromagnetism, waves, and light, then try out Brilliant's course on waves and light. Brilliant is an online learning community with over 60 interactive courses and mini-quizzes and puzzles, plus fun daily challenges that help get the brain warmed up for the day. Those challenges provide a context and framework that you need to tackle so that you learn the concepts by applying them, which is the best way to learn new concepts. Brilliant makes learning fun and easier, and their online community gives you places to discuss the material or ask questions, and their mobile app's offline feature lets you take courses even when you're not getting a good signal. If you'd like to learn more science, math, and computer science, go to Brilliant.org slash Isaac and sign up for free and also the first 200 people that go to that link will get 20% off the annual Premium subscription so you can solve all the daily challenges in the Archives and access dozens of problem-solving courses. So we were talking today about listening for Alien Signals arising on Distant Worlds, and next week we'll be teaming up with our friends over at What If to consider what if life emerged on low-gravity planets, and then we'll close the month out with our monthly livestream Q&A on Sunday, March 29th. As we head into April, we'll start the new month off by looking at what new technologies might be in the cards in the not-too-distant future and what their impact on us will be. If you want us when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you'd like to support future episodes you can donate to us on Patreon, which is linked in the episode description below, along with all our various social media forums where you can get updates and chat with others about the concepts in the episodes and many other futuristic ideas.